Well, hello, church family. It is so good to see you again. Hey, we've got another weekend. We've got another chance to worship the Lord. I know it's on video, and I know that uh, you're at your house, maybe by yourself or with other people. But man, we have another chance to engage, to put the spotlight on the Lord, the God of the universe who created us. Let's take that opportunity and let's worship him. Take it away, band. Water that turned into wine Open the eyes of the blind There's no
Oh, you are. 
Thank you so much, worship team. Well, hello, everyone. Happy football Sunday. Yes, football is back. Got the Bears hat on, ready to go. Hey, my name is Josh. I have a few announcements for you. Things going on here in the coming weeks. It is a jam-packed fall. First of all, if there's any way that we could be praying for you, go ahead and text your prayer request to 97,000. We would genuinely love to pray for you this week. So a couple of things are starting up here. Uh, our men's and women's groups, our men's and women's Bible studies are starting up. There are a couple options for the men and like 17 options for the ladies. Go online and check out all the different options. Those are starting up here this week. We'd love to get you engaged in one of those. Also starting this week, Awana for the kiddos. And it is not too late to register. You can go online on the front page. There's a link to register your kids for Awana. If you are do not have kids of Awana age, man, we would just covet your prayers over the whole Awana program in the school year that kids would be hiding God's word in their heart and it would just be a really sweet year. Also for the ladies, in two weeks on Saturday, September 25th, we have the women's one-day retreat from 9 to 5 p.m. here on the campus. Kathleen Kegel speaking on self-control. It is going to be an amazing time of worship, of hanging out with other ladies. You do not want to miss it. You can register for that online as well. Not to be left out, the guys have their one-day retreat coming up in October, on October 16th, also here at ABF, and you can register for that that online as well. Newcomers, if you are newer to the church here in the last little bit, uh, we would love to have a chance to just meet you and feed you some lunch, answer any questions, and just kind of mingle with you. That's coming up next Sunday, September 19th, after the second service over in the well. We'll open up those doors, have a nice indoor-outdoor space. As I said, we'll feed you some delicious food, hang out. You'll kind of get a chance to learn more about the church. So if you're newer, we would love to have you out for that. As always, man, thank you so much for your continued giving and support of the ministry here at the church. You can give online. You can mail in a check, however you want to do that. Um, I want to pray here before we have Pastor Scott come up and pray for our offering, but also just wanted to pray. Uh, yesterday, well, this past Saturday, was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Isn't that crazy that it's been 20 years? And uh, just wanted to take time to acknowledge and remember that and just know that people still today are affected by that day 20 years ago. Um, so would you just pray with me uh, over our time and uh, just praying um, over 9-11, the anniversary of that as well. Dear Father, um, God, we just are so grateful um, for another chance to come together, even virtually, and lift your name high in worship and come together and hear from your word. Um, Lord, I pray, um, man, with yesterday being 20 years uh, of 9-11, that's just, it's wild to think about, um, Lord, how that drastically impacted our country, and even specifically thinking about individuals who were impacted in such massive ways and families that were changed forever because of that event. Lord, we pray that you would draw close to those um, that are remembering loved ones and um, even thinking of rescuers that were going in and sacrificing their lives. And um, Lord, just the way that that changed our country. And Lord, I even pray that you'd give us soft hearts um, for what you want of us now and how that impacts how we live here and now. Um, Lord, just thank you for eternity. Thank you for Jesus. Um, I pray that 
Uh, Lord, I'm so thankful for our country and uh, the sweet place that we have uh, freedoms. And Lord, we just trust you with all of it. Um, even thinking about things going on in Afghanistan now and making connecting points there. Um, Lord, we just give you our world. We give you our country. We give you ourselves. And we just need to come back and do that regularly, Lord. So here we are again on this uh, day, um, and we just give you ourselves. Lord, we pray that now that you would speak to us through your word, um, that it would just be a sweet time, um, that you'd speak to us, that we'd be open to what you want to say to us today. Um, Lord, we love you so much, and we give you this time now. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Here is Pastor Scott starting a new series in the book of Jonah. Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, Josh. As uh, Josh mentioned, we're excited to be diving into this new series in Jonah, no uh, pun intended. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, it's been a blessing even the last couple weeks starting to see kind of this transition season as we're heading into the fall. And one of the bigger transitions is seeing uh, some of our interns that have been kind of here and there and all over the place taking on part-time roles in the church. And one thing that I've benefited from is Zach Gross actually passed on to me a sermon series that he was blessed by in the book of Jonah. It was by a pastor by the name of... Tim Mackey, he's actually the Bible Project guy, and definitely uh, listening to that series has really shaped my thoughts and some of the ideas that we share in this uh, series coming up. And so I'm excited to unpack God's Word, share some kind of new uh, pieces of the, the puzzle that I hadn't identified before, and so looking forward to this definitely. I don't know if you've spent much time in the book of Jonah. If we're honest here, a lot of us our time in Jonah is more likely than an in-depth study involved cucumbers. You know, has the, the veggie tail experience of Jonah. And as good as that may be, I think there's so much more to the story than just entertaining kids. The purpose of this book is to reveal the character of God. Basically, Jonah represents the covenant people of God, the Israelites. He wanted them to be the, the means of reaching out with his love and grace to the nations of the world. But unfortunately, instead of them being his representatives, they actually formed their own kind of exclusive, unconcerned group that wanted really nothing to do with their pagan neighbors. Unfortunately, still today, that can be the direction that the church heads as well, if we're not careful. As you unpack this story of Jonah, you begin to realize when you're looking at this character study that Jonah's really a pretty miserable person. He's terrible. He's self-centered. And really the story exposes a lot of just unhealthy tendencies in his life. Tendency towards pride, hard-heartedness, judgmentalism, tribalism, self-centeredness, small-mindedness, and basically an overall unwillingness to change. The problem though, as we go through this study, as much as we want to point a finger at this character and identify his character flaws, you start to realize that this story, like many in the Old Testament, is intended to be a mirror to our own shortcomings. And so my prayer as we're working through this is that we would begin to ask some of the tougher questions, not just looking at him as a person, but asking the question, is this me? Is this us? 
Let me pray before we begin in the text. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word and how so many things that were written so long ago are relevant and speak to us still today. God, I ask that you'd be just working and moving through this study, God, doing a work in us, God, identifying areas that you want to shape and change, encouraging things that are going well, all the things that we do when we gather around your word. We invite that in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to give just a, just two minutes of backstory before we dive into the actually Jonah chapter one. Basically, in the Old Testament, the Lord spoke directly to prophets with the intention that they, they would then relay messages to his people or the people around them. This is an interesting book because it's not a story about prophecy, but it's actually the story of a prophet prophet known as Jonah. Now, there's some debate in this story as to whether or not it's a parable, a made-up story to represent truth and to paint the picture of a particular people group, or whether it's a literal account of something happening. Those who lean towards it being literal point to the fact that it's discussed in Matthew, and Jesus actually mentions both Jonah and Nineveh, Basically, most believe that that authenticates the message. But you could make the argument that either way, whether it was real or it's a made-up picture of uh, the, the people of Israel, either way, really the message is still the same for us today. So I'm excited to look at this account. I lean towards it being a literal picture of someone that lived and walked this earth. It says in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. All right, we're going to pause there for a moment for some explanation. One of the things after being uh, quite a few years in vocational ministry, you begin to realize is sometimes you have assignments from God that sound great, and sometimes there's ones that just don't sound real great at all. They're seemingly miserable. I remember really my very first vocational ministry job. It involved me leaving a pretty well-paying job to take on an internship where I had to raise my entire support. It's interesting when I took that leap of faith to see after a month after starting that the director of the internship actually resigned and moved to another state, leaving us kind of floundering, if you will, most people would say, man, that was a miserable assignment. Looking back, I see, man, that's when I met my wife. It was when I'm first introduced to ministry. It was a great season of life. Now, other ministry assignments in my life have felt fantastic. Another time, I got a surprise phone call from someone I had worked with in the past asking if I wouldn't mind coming down to speak at an event, and the event happened to be taking place in the Bahamas. 
That took all about 30 seconds to sense God's calling towards uh, going. So you have those kind of assignments that are seemingly great, seemingly miserable. For this one, we're about to see that the assignment that's given to Jonah does not appeal to him whatsoever. Now, why is that? Why, why is he so against this idea? Basically, he's being asked to preach a message of hope and repentance and, and uh, a restoration to the sworn enemies of himself and his entire nation. Basically, uh, having to invite people to rescue that he doesn't want to see rescued. So here we learn a little bit about Jonah and his backstory. Jonah actually took place in the season that they call the time of the kings. So basically after David, there is a line of different kings. And basically that season is captured in first and second kings. And this season is noted by the fact that it's kind of a gradual decline. After David, things keep seeming, there's little glimpses of hope, but seemingly getting worse and worse. In fact, this took place during the rule of Jeroboam II, who was known by his, mostly by his father who ruled a quite a long time. And what was noted about his father is it said that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, Jeroboam II followed suit, and so this is when Jonah is leading in this nation as the prophet and reaching out. He's called to call out repentance for their most uh, disturbing enemy. Basically, the Assyrians were known for just their brutality, their oppressiveness, their, their really their, their violence was uh, just noteworthy. When you look a little bit at history, this people group was just a pretty miserable group. They were known for torturing their enemies. I was reading a little bit about them skinning them alive. Instead of passing on a medal in successful uh, victories, they would actually give people as keepsakes, different body parts from the, their enemies. I mean, this was a, a dark, dark nation. This is the people that Jonah's asked to avoid, give them a message that would help them avoid pending judgment. So not only were they known for being wicked, they worshiped all kinds of plethora of foreign gods. They worshiped a wide range of them. One of them, I was looking and reading about this week, her name was Nancy, not Nancy, but Nancy. She was the daughter of fresh water and she was visualized as a fish, which I find interesting. Another main god that they worshiped was known as Dagon. You've maybe even heard of Dagon before. Here's a couple pictures of Dagon. Basically, half man, half fish. Now, this might not seem that important until you stop and think about the means of transportation that God provides for Jonah arriving at the city of Nineveh. So Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, their greatest enemy. Here we see almost in a mocking tone, God referred to that great city. Basically, any earthly kingdom must seem laughable to almighty God on his throne over the universe. Here's what it, they, he says about, about them. He says, their evil has come up before me. In the original language, this idea is something getting right up in your face. 
I don't know if you've ever had that, somebody just antagonizing you, antagonizing you, and then shocked when you respond with an emotional response. I don't know where that might relate with us as a church in recent days, but basically getting in someone's face, this is the idea, is that our sin is antagonistic to a perfect God, antagonistic to a perfect God, yet God's response is to extend grace to extend mercy. Here we're told, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Thought it was interesting just to do a brief look at the names, uh, their names' meanings. Jonah actually means dove. The Amittai means faithfulness. So Jonah is the dove, the son of faithfulness, being sent as a rescue, as the peace offering to this people group. In God's grace, he sends him, but that's not how Jonah chooses to respond. What does he do? We're told here. He heads in the exact opposite direction. Now, you might not recognize this without looking at a map, but basically, he's going as far the opposite way as he possibly could. The city of Tarshish was about, he could have taken the trip about 500 miles to Nineveh. Instead, he heads 2,000 miles in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. Tarshish was a, a basically a, the last port going off before the, really the, the known world at that time, before going off into the ocean. It was the co corner of the known world as far west as one could possibly go in the opposite direction, we're told here, as he's trying to flee God. Basically, when you read some of these stories, you kind of chuckle and you read things like that and you're like, oh yeah, Jonah, good luck fleeing from God. But really, as I have titled this, Is This Us? You have to bring it to present day terms and wrestle through what are the things, what are the means that we try to run the opposite of God that someday when we look back might seem somewhat comical. I jotted down a list of a few of the attempts to flee God. One of the attempts I would suggest either knowingly or unknowingly that we try to flee God is by ignoring the Spirit's conviction about sin in our life. That faint call that we hear in the back of our mind that keeps saying, come back, you're only a few steps from coming back, just come back, and we keep ignoring that. That's an attempt unknowingly or knowingly, to flee from God. Another way that we flee from God is rejecting his nudges for different callings that he has in our life. I was just on this flight back from Chicago and I realized one of the things that's kind of their routine now on planes is they ask you to turn your phone into airplane mode. The airplane mode, basically what happens when you put it into airplane mode is you no longer receive any messages from anyone, whether it's the internet, whether it's somebody sending you something, a phone call, a text, you are cut off. Actually, it can be somewhat glorious to be honest with you, but this is the same picture for so often the believer that really shuts off the voice and conviction of the Holy Spirit, the nudges that he used to give, saying, hey, why don't you talk to this person? Hey, why don't you respond to this? Why don't, you, why don't you call out to this person? Why don't you nudge this person? When you stop responding to that, again, it's an attempt to flee from God that someday we might realize how comical it is. Another attempt to flee God is 
the choice to stay uh, in unforgiveness, not releasing somebody from some offense that they've caused in your life. Grudges really are something that will just eat you alive and talk about what's going to keep you from an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, grudges and unforgiveness are a wonderful way to restrict and to bind that relationship. Choosing unforgiveness, another one I jotted down, neglecting Christian community. One of the ways that we can be unknowingly wandering from the presence of God is being wandering from the presence of his church. He designed us to be in relationship, to be doing the Christian life together. Another one I jotted down is sulking over different things that we feel are unfair. I see that getting a foothold in so many people's lives that they're just kind of feeling like, oh, woe is me over this. Woe is me over this. This person didn't do this. This person didn't do this. Sulking and complaining is a wonderful way to restrict our relationship with Jesus Christ. All of these things, as we try to personalize Jonah's story, are things to wrestle through. And where does this leave us? All of this running from God has a tendency to leave us just worn out, to leave us exhausted and running on fumes. Take a look at where this takes Jonah. Verse five, then the mariners were afraid. Remember the boat's about to tear apart. And each, out, each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came in and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Pretty sad when a captain has to tell a prophet to call out to God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. I don't know if you've ever been on some kind of a trip or road trip or experience where certain parts of the trip, you just kind of look back and you're like, man, I barely remember going from the state of, uh, from Indiana to over to Illinois. There's just major sections of a trip that become kind of a blank. Anybody that has a commute often to, to work, you have serious things like that where you get into this mode of autopilot, kind of half paying attention, half not. And really, it's a scary thing because it's really sophisticated physical operations where you've mentally checked out. You're just kind of on autopilot for that portion of the trip. I've noticed something that I have a tendency to do. Maybe, uh, please tell me I'm not the only one that does this. I'll leave my house in the morning and be a block or two down and just be unable to remember whether or not I shut the garage door. It's embarrassing to admit, I'll circle back around just to double check. Most of the times I completely forgot shutting it, but I actually did shut it because I was on autopilot. Unfortunately, this idea of operating kind of half awake, half not, that's unfortunately how too many people live a large percentage of their life. They check it out. They, they operate regularly in this state of disengagement. And unfortunately, that happens in the spiritual sense as well. Jonah 1 is really a portrait of spiritual apathy. Jonah has checked out 
Look at what's happening here. The ship is about to tear apart. Picture this scene for a moment. You have all of these guys scrambling on the boat, panicking so much so that they're willing to throw the cargo over. This is a group of people that were seamen and de depended on this for their livelihood. And they're throwing these things over the edge. Not only are they throwing things over the edge, they're calling out. You imagine this wasn't a faint cry or a faint call. They're calling out to all their plethora of gods. I'm sure there's a couple prayers to Dagon there in the midst of this chaos. So in the middle of all of this pandemonium, where do we see in the text that Jonah is at? He's sound asleep. He's totally out of it, probably worn out from running from God, blissfully unaware of everything that's going on around him. Now, again, as we personalize this story and ask the question, is this us? My question, maybe prodding a little bit, I don't know, for me, this is conviction. Do I operate in the same manner? Really missing out on the cries and desperation that are really surrounding us every direction we turn. People that so need someone to step in with the hope of Jesus Christ. How am I doing as far as operating on autopilot or is there a sensitivity to what's happening around me? Am I following the Lord's nudges? Am I responding to him? That here is something clearly Jonah is missing out on so much potential for ministry. As I mentioned, can you imagine that this ship captain has to ask this man of God, prophet of God, to call out to his own God for help, that maybe there'll be mercy upon him. Take a look how it plays out in verse seven. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Surprise, surprise. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempt tempestuous. I don't even know how to say that. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. I heard a, a message this last week of Levi Lusco, who was talking about an experience where he and his wife were at a birthing class. And he was joking about what a miserable experience that was. But he was telling us, he said, they, they saw on the wall where they were doing this class, a poster, he said, that's haunted them for years. It was a cartoon picture of a baby smoking in the womb of its mother. And it said on the top of it, when mommy smokes, baby smokes. 
He's like, that's definitely a a pretty powerful image of a baby taking a a smoke inside the womb, this image. And so he said that they're always saying when they're concerned about something being passed on to somebody else, they always repeat that idea. When mommy smokes, baby smokes. We're often under the delusion that our sin doesn't really impact others. That it's a personal thing. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But here's the reality, is nobody sins independent of others. It's just a matter of time before our seemingly private sin bubbles over or our choices in some way have effects on others. I was listening to that pastor Mackey and he was talking about how every moral decision eventually forms who you are and your character. Eventually, compromise will spill over and impact those around you. Basically, Jonah is a wrecking ball in the lives of those on this ship. We see it all over the place. It's interesting that they're realizing that there must be somebody aboard this ship. This is a group of pagans that's doing something that's rippling into the rest of them on the ship. So they start interrogating Jonah. What's your occupation? What's your address? Your country? Your ethnicity? Basically all very guy-like questions. Uh, uh, so what do you do? What's your job? Basically they're asking th- these questions to figure out he, if he's the source of their pain. Jonah responds to them. He says, I'm a Hebrew who fears the Lord, who made the sea and dry land. Now pause for a second there with that statement. Do you see the lie that he is speaking? His words and confession of faith are in direct contrast with his actions. There's no genuine fear there. What a hypocrite. And it's ironic that the people, and this is often how it works, unfortunately, people outside of the faith, a lot of times are more privy to seeing the the hypocrisy inside the church than we are necessarily ourselves. They ask, what have you done? They said, it says that they knew he was fleeing from the Lord. I don't know how they knew it, whether they're just connecting the dots. I don't know if it was asked at the, when he's getting on the boat or traveling for business pleasure. No, I'm just trying to flee the Lord. No, we don't know exactly how they knew it, but they recognize that this could only be happening because he is fleeing this Lord who runs who owns the land and the sea. What do we see Jonah suggest as the way to solve this? What does he suggest? He suggests, just just throw me over. Now, we don't know what motivates him to say that, whether or not he's feeling really bad about what he's done, if it's conviction that's set in, like he feels terrible, hey, I don't want this, my sin to mess you guys up. Or another possibility is that he'd rather die then follow a God like Yahweh who wants to rescue his enemies. I would suggest that's more likely. I'd rather die than to see them converted. I don't want to see a happy ending to their story. And we'll later see in chapter four, he acknowledges that, that he didn't want to see them repent. Now, As the story continues in verse 14, we finally see them united and calling out for mercy after they are unable to, by physical strength, to row back to the shore. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, 
O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. If you think about it, this group of, uh, this crew is basically at an impasse. There's nothing that they can do to fix the situation that they're in. All they can do at this point is call out to God for mercy. Do you see the gospel there? It's written all over the place. That is when God is able to work in someone's life. When we kind of come to our wits end, when we realize, man, we can't fix this situation. I can't try harder. I can't work more at this. It's only by coming before him and pleading for his mercy that we're rescued. After this experience, these pagan sailors are now calling out to the one true God. Do you notice the change in the audience of their prayer? Now they're calling out to the one true Lord, basically changing their prayer life. And it's really, if you think about it, the first real prayer that's offered in this chapter. It hasn't come from Jonah. It's coming from these sailors. They want to make sure that they're clear before they throw Jonah in. And finally, they give in and they decide to actually take Jonah and toss him over the edge of the boat. Imagine what that scene must have been like. It's like, imagine being on a carnival cruise and they're just like, all right, we don't normally do this, but here you go. This is the idea is he's tossing them because they want to somehow rescue the rest of everyone on the boat. And immediately, once they throw him in the water, what happens? We're told that the storm ceases. That would be something that you would never Ever. It doesn't matter if you live to 70, 80, 100 years. That would be a moment that you would never forget the rest of your life. In our series image there, it has a, the picture of them throwing somebody in the air. Now, I don't know if the artist got a little zealous and the storm stopped even before he landed in the water. But either way, it would have been a, a memorable scene that they would never, ever forget. And we notice that their response to this, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Notice finally, somebody actually truly fears the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows or in other words, commitments to him as the true God. I wouldn't be surprised to see all of these sailors at some point in heaven as we tell this story. But the good news is the Lord didn't forget about his failed prophet either. And when I say failed prophet, it wasn't because of this prophet that these people were rescued. It was because of God's amazing strength on display. Take a look at verse 17, how the story continues. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here's the truth of the matter. They call out for mercy and sometimes mercy doesn't look anything at all like we think it should look like. Think about this. He's just about, Jonah's just about died on a, a boat about to break up because of this storm. Now he's swallowed 
by a huge fish. And I've swum with whale sharks in La Paz, Mexico that have made me not wonder if this is possible. He's now in the belly of this fish. And in those moments, you wonder if that point of rock bottom could be seen. It could be seen for the majority of us as like, man, that's, that's it. This is the, the end of a tragedy. This is how the, the story comes to conclusion. But that's back to my point that I was saying. Sometimes the things that, that seem to us of that's not what mercy looks like. That's what God uses often to get our attention. You see, God loved this prophet too much to let him run and hide in the opposite direction. So he chases him down. And you imagine as he's wallowing in the stomach acid of a fish wrapped in seaweed, if he's not wrestling through, whoa, God, what have I done? Is there a coming back from this point? That's really the gospel message. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel message. In fact, in Matthew 12, 40, Jesus is asked by the religious leaders of his day, hey, give us a sign. What, what, something that we can see that we could believe in you. And he points, I find it interesting, to Jonah and to Nineveh as the picture of his grace. Three days, three nights in the belly of this fish. Oh, does that sound familiar to the gospel? You see, on the other side of what seemingly is death, often in God's kingdom is life, is restoration is a new beginning, a fresh start. That's the whole picture of baptism that we celebrated a couple weeks back, being dipped into the old life and brought up into new life. See, this is, I'll answer the question of today's text, is this us? Yeah, it is. This is us. For us, my prayer and hope is that you'd wrestle through this text and ask some of the tough questions that this text proposes. Where am I at in this story? Am I running from God? Am I trying to go any direction that I can opposite of him? Am I out of Christian community? Am I not responding to conviction about sin? Am I trying to uh, ignore his uh, voice in my life? Am I holding on to grudges? What am I doing to flee or run from God? Where am I at as it relates to that? Am I asleep at the wheel? Am I, am, I, am I just kind of floating through life without really engaging with the extreme need that I'm surrounded with? Where am I at in this story? Or better question, am I at a place where I'm just so entangled in sin that it's dripping all over those around me? It's affecting everyone that I care about and everyone sees it I just don't happen to notice it. Where am I at in the story? Or the last one, really the best place to be at, at the place where you're at rock bottom and you're regularly calling out to God for mercy. I'd suggest in this story, that's the only place you want to be found. At a place of at the end of my rope where I'm just saying, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I can't do this on my own. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for this church. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this text and this picture that we see of this man of God who tries to run from you. We would laugh at the impossibility of that if we didn't head down 
so many roads trying to do the same thing. My prayer, my hope is even this might stir in someone's heart as a coming back, recognizing that you are the one single hope that we have in this life. Trying to do this on our own, trying to navigate the craziness of these days without you is impossible. That we'd give up, we'd quit on our attempts and call out to you for mercy. We thank you that you respond, that you're marked. When I said at the beginning of this text that this is a picture of your character, the picture of your character that we keep, will keep seeing in this story is of your amazing grace that you keep reaching out to us, regardless of whether we're entangled in miserable sin like the Assyrians or just the sin of neglect like Jonah. You're faithful, you're patient, and we praise you for that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.
All right, church family. Well, thanks again for being with us online. Hopefully each week, these times together are a blessing to you and encouragement and maybe even a nudge in a healthy way. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Any way we can serve you, always feel free to let me know.